From the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you're going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I'm Kyle. And we're excited to have you back for another episode of the show this week. And just so grateful for all of you guys that are listening. I always want to take a a pause just to say that we appreciate you guys. You know, I remember a couple, couple, two or three shows back, we were just talking about some of the different cities that people are listening in. And, and, you know, we were talking that we're over 240 cities in, in America. We're now over 270 in over 19 countries. And so... Just everybody, you know, China is now tuning in and and just excited that you guys are with us. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. Just some some countries that's tuning in. So we just appreciate all of you guys. And Mm. yeah, we have a special guest for you guys today. You know, I, I think about, you know, just coming off of a year where there's just been a lot of just, you know, people have have had to endure things that they've really never had to endure before you know, because of the pandemic and, and different things like that. And it's it's always been a thing for me to watch people's lives who have been through tremendous obstacles, been through just things where life just hits them hard. And our guest today is no stranger to this. Her name is Vanitha, and she is the author of the book, Walking Through Fire, a memoir of loss and redemption. She's also the author of The Scars That Have Shaped Me. This is a devotional. She's a regular contributor to Desiring God, which if, if you know anything about Desiring God, that is ran by John Piper. Amazing. And then she's also a writer and speaker for the Gospel Coalition. And Vanitha joins the Thinking Out Loud podcast. Vanitha, thanks for coming on today. Oh, I am so privileged to be here. I, I really can't wait for this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Just love getting to talk to fellow believers about how God meets us in suffering. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, one of my favorite attributes of God is that God is a redeemer. He can take the absolute worst and make it beautiful. And, you know, being in the world as Christians, and I know there's some false theology out there that says, hey, if you come to God, you're going to have health, wealth, prosperity, you can speak everything into existence, and everything's just going to fall into place. But we see a difference in Scripture. You know, John 16, just basically says, hey, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, right? So a lot of the people that we're talking to is, you know, even in our audience, are people either coming out of a trial in the middle of a trial or getting ready to go into one, right? Because that's just how life is. And you're a person who has had tremendous, tremendous, you know, it's, it seemed like one hit after another, but, you know, God has brought you through and you certainly know suffering. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit about your story and, and just kind of start with, 
your birth, your childhood, and, and kind of what what happened there, and and we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, Kevin, I was born in India. My parents were believers, and I was born actually in 1964, and I got polio when I was three months old. And the vaccine had been developed, you know, the decade earlier. Um, so nobody knew what I had, but I had not gotten the vaccine because in India, they usually give it at six months old. And but my parents took me to a doctor who had no idea, never seen polio, assumed I had typhoid. And so she gave me cortisone to lower my fever, which was really high at three months old. It was one hundred and five. So my mm. parents were pretty scared. And so the cortisone lowered my fever immediately, but it also um, breaks down your immune system. And so within a few days, I was completely paralyzed. And then they, you know, the doctor said, oh, my gosh, she didn't have polio. She didn't have typhoid. She had polio. But there was nothing they could do at that point. And basically, the cortisone had broken down my entire immune system. And so I was a quadriplegic at that point. I couldn't move my arms or my legs. And the doctor said to my parents, there's nothing we can do. We, there's no hope here. And in India, when you have some sort of disability, especially then, it was really seen as a, a curse on your family that mm. you had done something wrong. Yeah. And so there was um, really, they said, if you even want to do anything, you need to leave the country because there's no services and there's no handicapped accessibility, as well as the medical care at that point wasn't very good. Mm. So my dad was a professor in a university in India, and he left almost immediately and got a manual laborer's job installing telephones. So we left India, moved to England, and I had my first surgery in England when I was two. We moved from England to Canada, and by the time I was 13, I'd had 21 operations. My goodness. So I just lived in and out of the hospital. And when I, when I was in Canada, which is where I had most of my surgeries, I lived in the hospital. I was in a Shriners hospital, which is a free hospital. Mm. And they did not let parents even visit except for weekends. So there was no my mom being with me through surgeries or any of that. She just was at home wow. and she would, could come visit on Saturdays. I remember that. I was so excited when she would come to visit, but I grew up on my own in a lot of ways. I mean, once I was in the hospital for a year straight or nine months straight, I was flat on my back in a body cast when I was seven. So my world was just the hospital. That's all I knew and just kind of had my own faith or lack of faith in that, you know, my parents had a strong faith. I went to church when I was home with them, but my experience of life was pretty much on my own. Mm. So that was sort of very formative for me. Mm -hmm. And when I wasn't in the hospital and I was at home, I was bullied a lot and didn't even tell anyone, even my parents, because I was embarrassed. I didn't really know how to bring it up. And I think that's true of a lot of people who are bullied. They don't want their parents or other people to think badly of them. There's a lot of shame in that. Mm -hmm. And I remember after I'd been in the hospital when I was seven and had been there for nine months and just was so excited to get out of the hospital. I remember uh, being home and then wanting to walk home by myself from school. No, that was not a big feat because we, my parents had rented an apartment 
directly opposite the school. So we're not talking very far. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to surprise her. Usually my mom would come, you know, take me home and walk me home. But I wanted to surprise her. So I m- pretended that I was going home with my sister. And then I started walking home and this group of boys threw stones at me. They kind of came up behind me and they pushed me down and they called me a cripple. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, this world isn't anything like I thought. I thought the world was a little more safe. And then I realized the world was actually pretty scary. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't even know if I liked being in the hospital better or being home. And I remember that day I pulled myself up to, you know, using kind of this rock that was nearby. And I walked home and I didn't tell my parents. And I didn't tell anyone, honestly, for probably 20 years. It just was one of those things that I thought, I I can't tell anybody. I don't know what to do with that. So I became very angry at God because what I did with it was blame God and say, you know, this has got to be God's fault. And it was kind of funny because I would go to church with my parents and, you know, there was the God is good. God has a great plan for your life. And I felt like, well, that's easy for you to say. God may be good to you, but God has not been good to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just grew up angry and took out a lot of my anger on my sister. I'm sort of a pleaser. So it's sort of this dichotomy of looking great to other people. I think most of my parents' friends thought I was this little angel. Um, I don't think my parents really quite thought that because <laughs> I wasn't. Mm-hmm. But um, my sister bore the brunt of it. And that was pretty hard because she loved me. She was, she's a very sweet person. And I pretty much tormented her and because I was tormented myself, really. But when I was um, a little older, I went to FCA and that's Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is kind of crazy that I would choose FCA because I was not an athlete or a Christian, but all the cute guys in my high school went to FCA. So (laughs) that's exactly where I wanted to be. So all the football players went and that's where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine and I would sit in the back and we'd talk about boys. Neither of us took the God stuff seriously at all. And then one day she went away on a retreat and came back and said, God is real. And I will never forget that day because I felt like my whole world was crashing. Like mm-hmm. she was not going to sit in the back and talk about boys. She would want to talk about God. And that kind of threw me into this panic in some ways. And she would talk about God a lot. And I remember just one night thinking, okay, I I don't understand this because I would go to FCA and kids my age would actually pray. And that was a huge, bizarre thing to me. Like I just thought religion was for adults who had nothing better to do. And so to have kids who were like 16 praying. I remember that sort of blew my mind. But anyway, so I just went home one night, got in bed and I said, okay, God, if you're real, show me. And that's all I said. And then the next morning I got up and I thought, maybe I should do something about that. So I had a Bible that my parents had given me or the church had given me actually. And I pulled it out and I had never read it. And I said, okay, if you're real, like show me, say something to me. So I opened the Bible to Leviticus and just started reading. And I was like, ah, this is what I've always thought about the Bible. Like I, it makes Mm -hmm. no sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then I just said, okay, God, why, why did this happen? Why do people say that you're good when all of these really hard things happen? 
Then I just flipped the Bible open again. And I opened to John 9, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And they see a man blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that he was born blind, but that the work of God would be displayed in his life. Mm, mm. And I was kind of stunned. It was like God was asking, was answering the question I had just asked. But his answer was different than what I had asked and that I had asked why, just the way the disciples did, what had somebody done? And it was sort of like, why did you do this? What have I done? And God answered with why, what is the purpose that the work of God would be displayed in my life? And that shift was monumental, that it wasn't because I had done anything. It wasn't to punish me. It wasn't because God wasn't good. It was because God was going to use it. And I really felt that God was talking to me. And I still remember that morning, the sun was streaming in through my window. It was a Saturday morning. And I just started reading a little more in scripture and just read the raising of Lazarus and read all of these things where Jesus says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Mm. And I remember just kind of in awe that God was answering me. And I knelt down by the side of my bed and committed my life to Christ and really kind of thought at that point, okay, I'm about to have my best life now because I thought (laughs) I have committed my life to Christ. Everything is going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And it was for a long time. My life went so well. I mean, I got into every college I wanted to go to. I got my dream job in Boston and went to grad school where I met and married my husband. He was a classmate. So I would say I had 14 years. I came to Christ at 16. And I had 14 years of, wow, everything I want is happening. And then life started caving in on me. And Mm -hmm. that was really when my faith became more real. It was real for sure after I had committed my life to Christ at 16. But I don't think I really had a deep faith. I didn't dig into God. Mm -hmm. God was amazing. And those, especially those early years were amazing in terms of learning about God, but it wasn't as much about depending on God, which Mm. is what happened when I got older. Mm. Mm. Wow. So you, so you're, you got to college, got a job, you know, like you say, your dream job, got married. And then you, so, and I, I know you have two two daughters yes and like you said life was just going seemingly the way that you planned it to go right like you just you know i mean after the whole polio and, and all of that but you you know you were kind of moving forward so talk to us a little bit about what happened after that so as life is going good what what happened after that yeah well there's uh, several things so i had a miscarriage that was hard and i was not prepared for that Then I had a daughter, Katie, and in the midst of that, my husband actually had an affair. So that was just a huge thing that we had to work through and really wondered, 
does God want me to stay? What should I do with this? And that was when I really pressed into God. And we ended up finding a Christian counselor. Um, My husband really repented and I saw fruit from that because I think repentance always has fruit. Mm -hmm. And I saw that. And so I thought, okay, now we're back on a good track. And we had just really put our marriage back together. And then I had two miscarriages after that. So I was sort of reeling from that, then got pregnant again and thought, okay, was 20 weeks pregnant, hadn't had a miscarriage and went in for a routine ultrasound and found out that we were having a boy and he had a hypoplastic left heart. And that means that he had half a heart and he would need to have surgery at birth or else he would die actually within a few days or maybe a few weeks. So we could either do a heart transplant or have this multi-stage surgery. So we were just trying to figure out the options Ended up going to University of Michigan, the best heart surgeon for this type of surgery in the world at the time. So it felt really great about that. And he had, the surgery went so well, came home, everything was going well. It was hard at first. He had an NG tube, which is this tube that you stick down your nose and that's how we fed him. And that was really terrifying, to be honest. Yeah. But God really just was, brought us through that. And I thought, okay, we are we are out of the worst of it. We went to see our regular cardiologist, pediatric cardiologist, and he was gone. So his partner, who was sort of a substitute for that because he wasn't a pediatric cardiologist, came in and he looked at our son and said, oh my gosh, he's doing so well. Paul looks amazing. And so he said, you know what? I don't think he needs all this medicine. He, he really doesn't. So we are going to just take him off his medicine because he was 50th percentile weight height. He was just thriving. Mm. And I thought, this is great news. Like I could not believe how wonderful that was. And I remember going home and calling a friend of mine who had actually helped us through the process. He was a pediatric cardiologist himself. It was a friend from high school. And when I told him the good news, he said, wait, wait, what happened? And I said, he took him off all his medicine. I mean, he gave, you know, we're still on a few things, but he was getting medicine around the clock. Like at night, we would probably 10 different medications. Mm. And John said, what, first I remember John said, what did, what did he take him off of? And so I had to go look and figure out what we had left and what wasn't there. And John said, he needs that medicine. And that was this, hit in my stomach. I didn't really know what to do. So I called the doctor's office, got the answering machine and thought, okay, this will be fine. This will be fine. But what happened was a couple of days later, Paul woke up in the middle of the night to nurse and all of a sudden he screamed and went limp. My husband was actually burping him and he went limp in his arms and we called 911 and he, Dave went with Paul to the hospital and I called John. It was 3 a.m. And this was before cell phone. So I'm calling his house and his wife answers the phone and she says, he's actually visiting some friends. So I called them at 3 a.m., wake up their whole family and just said, what do I do? Mm. And John says to me, I'm so sorry. And that was this crushing moment where I kept saying to him, like, tell me what to do. What do I do when I get to the hospital? And he just said, I'm so sorry. So I hung up the phone and I got on my knees and I begged. I begged God like I've never begged for anything, just saying, please, please, please save my son. So some friends came to stay with our daughter, Katie, and I went to the hospital. Actually, the the husband went with me. And when I got to the hospital, 
they told me that Paul was dead. Mm. And that was this moment where I, I couldn't believe it, actually. So I went in and just saw him. My husband was holding him in his arms in this operating room. And I just couldn't believe that God had not answered my prayer the way I had asked. I had never begged God for anything like that. And there was just this sense of, God, why did you not answer me? Mm-hmm. But then the rest of that day and that, you know, the following days were just busy with a funeral and all of those things. And I had been teaching women's Bible study. So I felt that I had to be strong for people. And God really carried me through that time, I do have to say. So we got up at Paul's funeral and said, God never makes a mistake. And I really believed that, that God was going to use this just the way he used my disability. Mm -hmm. So I felt strong for, you know, the week after Paul died, just felt so carried. And then I didn't. And then I didn't know what to do as I replayed the last days of his life and all that had happened. I felt like God had left me. Why did God let Paul die? So I drifted from God and just felt so alone and didn't know what to do with that. Because once you're publicly tell everyone God makes a mistake, you don't have anywhere to go with that, you know, because everybody's writing you letters telling you what an amazing faith you have. And you don't have that faith anymore, but you can't tell anyone. Mm. So that was a really dark time for me. Honestly, Kevin, I, I just felt that God had abandoned me and I had no one to tell. So I, I pulled away from God. I, my Bible sat unopened. I would journal sometimes, but mostly I just felt desperate and alone. And I remember though, one day it had been a long time and I don't even know how long it had been since I had prayed or opened the Bible. I was driving in the car, just so down. Mm. And I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to help me. And then I pushed in this worship tape and the music just started filling my car. And then all of a sudden, the presence of God filled my car Mm. in this way that I cannot describe even to this day. But I remember turning off the music and thinking, oh, maybe it's the music that is, you know, filling me. Mm -hmm. But I turned off the music and it was God filling me. And I didn't need the music. It was just God. It was the sense of joy that has been greater than any sense of joy I have ever experienced. It, it transcended everything in my life. And it was just the sense that God said, I'm here. I'm with you. I will never leave you. And my presence is going to go with you wherever you go. And I don't think I'd ever understood what it felt like to be in the presence of God, but I understood it that day. And it made me think, I can't wait for heaven because even though all this other really hard stuff happened in that moment, it didn't matter. What mattered was being with God. And and I felt like that was just this tiny taste of heaven that God gave me that said, it's going to be okay. Like you will laugh again and you will find joy in me. And one day you will see Paul who is enjoying this right now. Mm -hmm. So don't be sad for him because he's got something so much better than Mm -hmm. you have. 
And that was really a transitional moment in my life. Sort of like when I accepted Christ when I was 16, this was just sort of another pivot in my life to not just seeing God as a purpose in my life, but I have God's presence in my life that will make everything else pale in comparison. And so that was this moment. And then after that, it wasn't that everything went away, but I trusted God in a way that I didn't trust him before that. And I think I learned the language of lament then because there was still this Mm -hmm. sorrow that my son had died. It wasn't that it was, okay, the rest of my life is great. I live in this sense of God's presence because I didn't live in that sense, but I was assured that it was there. Mm -hmm. And so I remember just pouring over the Bible and over Psalms and just asking God, why? How long, O Lord? Mm. And God would meet me through the Psalms. And that became my, my understanding of lament is it begins with trusting God and trusting enough to mm. say what you need to say. Whereas I feel like after Paul died right away, I didn't trust God. He wasn't safe. I wasn't able to say how I felt. And after that moment, I realized God invites us to talk to him. And so my relationship with God, I would say from then on, then on was different because I felt invited by God to tell him how I felt. Wow, that's amazing. And as you were talking, kind of a, qu- a question came to my mind is, how do you feel like we as pastors, church leaders can train people better? And, and it, maybe it's just a God, you know, maybe it's just something that they have to work through with God. But I feel like that's just our default. We just go to God and go, God, why, why didn't you, why you were supposed to. And I understand because, you know, we, we serve an all powerful God. And so we know that there's a possibility of him making everything better right in the moment at any time. Like he could do that. Right. And, but we also see in the, in the scripture where there's a lot of times God could have come through. So you know, when Lazarus, Lazarus died, Right. You know, we have the the fiery furnace. Right. It it wasn't that God didn't keep them from the fiery furnace. God showed up in the midst of it, you know. But is there a way that we can get better at helping people to understand when they get saved how that works to where it's like when you do go through something that we don't have this expectation that God is supposed to do X or Y. Right. Help us understand that a little bit. Like, what do you, how do you feel like we need to be approaching this as a church? I would say several things. I would say the first thing is let people grieve. You know, that's what I've had to do myself Mm -hmm. for me and for other people is first let them grieve, but then remind them of truth. And I think the truth that I remind myself of is sometimes God delivers us from affliction, and sometimes God delivers us in it. And that's sort of what you talked about. And I love this idea that I think scripture shows us all the way through is there's, we all pray for deliverance. We want God to take it away. And and that's natural. I mean, Paul says, you know, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. So Mm -hmm. I think we want to keep doing that because, you know, Psalm 50 says, you know, call upon me and I will answer you. I will deliver you and I will get glory from that. So asking God and and God delivering us, that brings God glory. But there's also asking God 
and God sustains us. And in a lot of ways, I think that gives God more glory. You know, this idea of, you know, we all want the parting of the Red Sea, but I think what taught the Israelites to depend on God was manna. And that is the everyday sustenance that God gives us. Mm -hmm. It's the, even though you don't do what we are asking, you give us yourself. You know, you look at Habakkuk and he is calling out to God and like, why are you letting this happen? And then in the end, he sees God and he says, you know, I'm going to rejoice even if I don't get any of these things. And I've been pondering Job 36, 15, which is kind of an interesting scripture because it says he delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens Mm -hmm. their ears by adversity. So it's not he delivers them from affliction, which is all through the Bible but he delivers them by affliction. And I Mm. think that's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's okay. The deliverance by affliction is not taking away the affliction. Mm -hmm. It's giving you something better. And something better is trusting God. Something better is my grace is sufficient. Mm -hmm. Something better is giving you God and trusting in him and strengthening you so that the next time there is this trust. Whereas if it's always just, I'm going to do what, you know, God does what we pray for exactly the way we ask, God becomes this magic genie for us. And if he doesn't do it, then we're mad versus when he doesn't do it, but he gives us himself. We realize there's something so much better than deliverance out there. And that is really being sustained by God. Yeah, I love Thomas Fuller has this quote that I love, either lighten my burdens or strengthen my back. And I think God often does lighten our burdens and do those amazing things, but often he strengthens our back and strengthens us in him. And that actually lasts longer than lighten my burdens. Yeah. And you, you look at the, you know, you talked about what Habakkuk says, and we see that with the Israelites. Now we know that in the book of Judges, they were facing some things because of their sin. I mean, it starts out, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So I don't want to misinterpret that, but I mean, they go through 18 years, 20 years, 30 years of bondage of something, and God actually uses that. There's certain chapters where it says he strengthened their enemies against them. And you look at that and you go, well, how can a good God do that? Like, why would a good God strengthen Eglon? Or why would he? And you got you to reroute the question and really reroute the perspective and say, it wasn't that he was strengthening it against his people you know, for adversity, but he was using Eglon as a pawn to save his people because of their adversity and because of the sin that they're in. And so you look at that and you look at a God who's always working. I think it's Darby who has the quote who says, God is moving behind every scene or something about God's behind every scene and he moves the scenes he's behind. That's what he says. So basically he's sovereign. I mean, he's in control and we cry out for help and the Israelites went through that cycle where they would cry out for help. And you would realize in that moment, like even with Deborah, he was already, Deborah was already working, but it was until their cry for help that Deborah took a step. He, he allowed Deborah to step into that destiny. She was already leading the people of Israel. Then she moves with Barak and does, does what God has asked him to do. But I'm saying all that to say, at times it doesn't look the way we want it to look with God. But, and I, and I told her students this, but I, I said, you know, a faith that can't be tested is also a faith that can't be trusted. And mm-hmm. we, we don't, we can't give an answer to why certain things happen. But in that, if we trust God, he will get the glory. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that we can say, well, that's fair and that's, unf-, you know, there are things that just happen that they're not asked for. We, you know what I'm saying? Like, we didn't ask for certain things that happened to us. They're not brought on by our doing, but we have to trust God in that moment. And that faith is going to be tested to the point to where you, and you hit on it, where there's going to be a trust that's built. Mm-hmm. Now, there's so many other answers that are needed in that process. That's not an end-all, be-all answer. But that, I think, is just a good overview of, in this moment, I do need to trust God, not blame God as much as I'd want to, but trust Him because my faith, my faith will be tested in this, and it will come out to prove Him glory and to prove my faith to be strengthened. Yeah. yeah. I love how you started with Judges because I think Gideon is a great example of that, too. You know, he says... The first thing he says when the angel of the Lord comes to him is, is the Lord is with us. Why did all this happen? I mean, that's what Gideon says. And yet God continues to prove himself trustworthy through that whole thing. And and to the point that God says, I want the glory in this. So, you know, you can only have 300 people against Midianites (laughs) because I want the glory through this. And I think when we trust God, when we are in a position where we feel inadequate and we can't face mm-hmm. our suffering and we mm-hmm. can't do those things, God gets the glory, yeah. not us. Yeah, I mean, he is the perfect example. He, he, he was the lo- the Bible talks about him and his family being the lowest in their tribe. So yeah. he didn't even, he had the low self-esteem. And a lot of us do because of our circumstances, we feel like that's it. Like we're at rock bottom. And then we constantly ask God, you gotta give me a sign here. And that's what Gideon does. <laughs> yeah, He's like, all right, God. If this is really you, you know, and, but you know what? The one thing about Gideon is he was real. I mean, he, he wore his heart on his sleeve and, and I try to tell my friends, my students, God's not shocked by your response. He's not like, give him your response. Give him your, your ultimate, just, just genuine response and watch him answer through that. Mm-hmm. It may not be the answer you want to hear. Like, I'm sure Gideon was like, really? I had 32,000 or 30,000 or whatever. And you want 300? You know? <laughs> no, I know. And, and God's like, well, if you want me to, you know, if you really want me to work here, I'm going to get this glory. It's going to happen. And so it's hard. It's a faith that it, it faith isn't easy. It's hard. Yeah. You know, I it, it makes me think, and I was, I was trying to look up a scripture while you guys were talking, but it reminds me also of Paul, you know, because Paul, I mean, he wrote two thirds of the New Testament, but he wrote two thirds of the New Testament. And a lot of those times he was in prison, you mm, know, yeah. and he says, you know, I'm in chains, you know, he he's and I think we forget about, you know, Paul was doing amazing things for God. And we 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 look at Paul and we, you know, he's one of my favorite. Like I always say when I get to heaven. I want to see Jesus, number one, and then I want to talk to Paul <laughs> because he's just so, oh, it, I just feel like if, if there's one person who truly understands and understood God and all the things that we should as Christians, it's Paul. Like he just gets it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, but we, we idolize Paul and say, oh man, Paul was so powerful, but Paul I, in, in his flesh, I'm sure he didn't feel like he was being as effective as maybe, you know, as we see him today. The guy was in prison. He probably never dreamed that the letters and things that he wrote that we would be sitting here talking about him today, right? Mm. I mean, it, yeah. this is, is so it is that, that God is, and that's why I think we, we, we have as Christians, and it's just a human nature, we have this adverseness against being persecuted. It's like, well, I need to stand up and I need to fight back. And there are times for that. 
But then there are times that fighting back is not going to bring the glory of God. It's mm-hmm. actually going to be you going through the persecution that's going to bring the glory of God. You know, mm-hmm. the, the other in the scripture that I was trying to find is when Jesus, you know, when John, I think John was in prison. And I, I love this scripture when John, because John Bevere actually, he uh, brought this up one time. And, you know, John has sent two disciples to, to go to Jesus and go, listen, man, I'm in prison. He goes, are you the Christ or should we be looking for another? <laughs> and right after that, Jesus goes, blessed are those that are not offended by me, right? Or in me, something like that. I can't think of the exact, but he's basically saying, yep, yeah, I know you're in prison, John. You know, and yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the one that's doing all these miracles. But John, you're still in prison. That doesn't change who I am, right? You know, and and blessed are you that you're not offended by that. Like, Mm. it's like drop the mic. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so I just, I, it's, you know, God is sovereign. He does what he wants when he wants for whatever reason he wants. And, you know, and I've been through, and I, I wouldn't even come close to saying I've been through anything like all the things that you've been through, but the, the things that I have been through in life, you know, it taught me the sovereignty of God because, you know, when my, when my daughter, and I know this show is not about me, <laughs> but I, I do want to bring this up. My, when my daughter was born, my daughter was born, she, my wife had a, a car accident. Oh gosh. It was probably three days before Maya was, was born, my youngest daughter. And I never forget getting the call going, what? Like, you just got into, what do you mean you just got into a car accident? And my wife just said, and I never, it was surreal because when we went to court later, because the person literally said, they were like, I don't know what I was thinking, but my wife was going 40 miles an hour down the side street. And she was, she was, there was somebody in the turn lane. They wanted to turn into the gas station on the corner with the light, totally green. And my wife, right at the light, this person just decided to casually turn in to the gas station. I remember being in court and she goes, I have zero idea why I did that. But she said, I just nonchalantly just just pulled out right in front of her. And I remember when my wife called me and I'm like, you have got to be kidding. Well, through all of that, my Maya, she got some amniotic fluid in her lungs. And so she ended up having to be in the hospital for, we could, you know, I had this dream of, I'm, we're going to have a baby. We're going to be able to take her home and it's going to be, but instead we were in the hospital (laughs) for a a long period of time and that we had to stay there. And I remember screaming out to God during that time. And I'll tell you right now, I, at that particular time, I was a health, wealth, prosperity guy. I was like, I'm going to decree it. I'm going to declare, I'm going to demand it. I'm going to, I'm going to make this thing happen. And I, and God was teaching me through all of that. And I didn't know until years later, his sovereignty, Hmm. even through this, Kevin, it didn't happen like you wanted to. You thought you were going to bring your baby home and show her off. You thought you were, you know, all of the things. And the crazy thing is there was another baby who was having the same breathing problems that they had to airlift him to another hospital. And they said that he might not even make it. And I'm sitting there going, is this going to happen to mine too? Like, is, is this, you know? So it, I say all that to say, 
it is it truly is through trials that we truly understand the character of God and the richness of who he is, you know? So anyways, I want to talk a little bit about, so you, you, you know, so you're, you're, you were talking about, you know, going through college, all of that. We, we went through all of that and we talked about kind of your relationship with God, your infant son passing away. And then you got hit again with post polio syndrome. Can you help us to understand what, what that is and like what that entails? Yeah. So I, did not know what post-polio syndrome was until I was diagnosed with it. So what had happened was I was pulling my seatbelt across. We're going on a family trip and I got this crazy pain in my arm. And I thought, what is that? So by the time we got to my friend's house, like I couldn't even move my arm. So I thought, okay, I've strained it. So we got home and I started seeing doctors because it wasn't getting better. So I spent months going to see doctors until finally a friend of mine said, could that be related to polio? And I said, oh, no, no, no. So, and I didn't mention that I had had 21 operations and went from being a quadriplegic to actually being able to walk and live a pretty normal life. Now I walked with a limp, still do, and had weak arms, but my life looked pretty normal. I was an artist. I had done all kinds of things, loved to cook. So my life on the outside had looked pretty much like everybody else's exercised every day, twice a day, probably for decades. So go to this. So a friend of mine said, this, could this be related to polio? And I was like, no, no, that just happened a long time ago. But then nobody could figure out what was wrong. So ended up going to a polio clinic and they diagnosed me with post-polio. And I remember just wondering, what, what does that mean? Like they were just saying, your, your muscles are going backwards. And I don't think I fully understood it till they said, what happens is your energy and your strength is like money in a bank. So every time you do something, you make a withdrawal and you can't make any more deposits. So when it's all gone, you will go back to the way you were when you first got polio, which was a quadriplegic. And the hardest part for me was that they said I was sort of in charge of how long or how fast that would go, because they said, the more you do, the weaker you get. So the more you decide to live your life the way you are now, the faster the decline will be. And I remember saying, so what happens if I don't make all these suggestions? I mean, there were suggestions from using a wheelchair to using voice activated softwares to no, not type anymore, to using electric toothbrush to, I mean, just a lot of suggestions. Mm -hmm. And I said, what happens if I don't do all of these right away? And they said, in 10 years, somebody's going to be feeding you. And I had two young daughters at the time and just could not even process that. Um, so that was just this real grieving of this life that I thought I had worked so hard to build. I mean, everything was harder for me to do, but I was able to do it and mm -hmm. made jewelry and did all kinds of things that lived in an independent life you know, when, before I'd gotten married and just felt like it was all crashing in front of me and just in some ways wondered how God could let that happen again. But yet God had shown how faithful he had been through Paul's death that I had this sort of bedrock trust that, yeah, God may not answer me the way I want him to, but he will give me everything I need. And 
So that was just this time of real weeping, but at the same time, trusting. And there's this John Piper quote that I didn't know then, but I think would have been amazing for me then. And I, I, I think about it every time I deal with struggles with post-polio now, and that's occasionally weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the loss, feel the pain, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life he's given you. And I think that's really what I had to do was, was grieve it and, and be sad about it, about all the things that I once did that I couldn't do anymore. And yet to trust God and embrace the life that was before me and embrace the fact that God, God was in it and he was going to take me where he needed me to go. So mm. that was a process that was pretty hard of losing independence and changing my identity. We changed churches at the same time. And I used to be the first person to sign up for meals. I took meals to everybody. I just served. I was in charge of VBS crafts. And then all of a sudden we changed churches and I was not that person anymore. I didn't take meals. I didn't do crafts. And so there was a real identity shift, which looking back was really good for me because my identity was in serving and what I could do for people. Mm. And sort of uh, Jamelia talks about how we want to do something for God and God calls us to be something for him. And I really had to shift that from doing something to being something. So that was a pretty tough shift, but I felt that God really walked through every day with me as I made it. So during this time, did you have anybody who, you know, because sometimes we as Christians, we just, especially in grief. You know, and and both Kyle and I have, uh, you know, Kyle's currently a pastor, and and I've served in pastor at a point in my life, and you know, you find people say just silly things when people are going through things. You know, I mean, I some of the things that people say when people are grieving. You know, like I, you know, I was told, you know, at my dad's casket, you know, what are you crying for? He's gonna, you're gonna see him again. You know, that's why you're Christian. You know. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's those kind of things that, that are said. And sometimes we just get, you know, my mom would used to say, you know, sometimes we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, you know, in, in a sense that we, we, you know, we say very religious things, but they really don't have much depth to them, mm -hmm. you know, or truth, you know, to be truthful. But how were people in the church with, with you as you were going through all of these things and being hit? You know, did you have places where people say, well, what, what did you, you know, what did you do? Because sometimes people go, well, have you, have you sinned or is there sin in your life? Or they'll say things like, well, don't you have enough faith? Do you have enough faith? You just need to believe God more. You know, tell us a little bit about the church and, and that's influence on, on you during this time. Yeah, I would say that I've heard all of those things, you know, don't you have enough faith? There's this idea that you know, disability and disease and sickness, all of that is not of God. And that if you just say it the right way and kind of claim it, then God is going to miraculously heal you. And so I had a lot of people sort of, you know, and still do sometimes. I mean, I've been in the grocery store and like one of those cards, this was years, a few years ago, and people want to pray for you. And then if you don't get healed in that moment, when they are there, they say, well, you know, maybe there's some sin in your life because they are so sure that they, God is going to heal you through them. It's like, maybe God has other plans because everybody dies and he, God, you know, they have not in some ways been healed and yet God is glorified through all of those things. 
So that has been tough. I remember at my son's funeral, you know, people would spout Romans 8.28. And I mean, I love that verse. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But don't ever quote that to somebody at a funeral, at a time in their life when they're struggling. I think people need to come to that themselves. Mm-hmm. And then there's this great joy, like God is going to use this for good. But to say to somebody else, hey, don't cry. God's using this for good becomes just this platitude that is so painful. And it says to you, just like this person at your um, dad's funeral, you may not have permission to grieve. I mean, that's what that Mm -hmm. basically is saying to people is Mm -hmm. you do not have permission to grieve. Yeah. And I think that's such a painful thing that we do in the church. And it's, I think, because we want to feel better. Mm -hmm. It's not for the person. It's because we want to feel better. And we also want to be the one often with the best answer. I mean, I honestly still want to walk into somebody's hospital room and say something to them in which they go, wow, that just changed my life. I I feel so much better. I want to be that person, Mm -hmm. but I actually never am because it's not my words that are going to change them. And what God usually calls us to do in the face of someone else's suffering is to sit and listen Mm -hmm. and be there. It's not our words of wisdom that's going to change anybody. And I think it's when we are trying to sound profound that we are the most hurtful because it's really more about us. And, you know, the person who said that to you, it was about them of, you know, I want to remind you of truth, but it's a two by four. It is, you know, it's not reminding people of truth. It's knocking them out. Mm. That is, I, you know, I never thought of it that way, but I totally get what you're saying. When you say it's about us, when we say that to people, because sometimes I think we're protecting our own emotions. Because we don't like what's happening, you know, because a lot of times it's our friend or it's somebody, a family member, or it's at the church, you know, you know, it's somebody close to us. And so for us, we just want them to be okay, but we want them to be okay because it hurts us that they're not okay. I never, I, that is so, so true. And I, and that's why I've always said to people like, cause people ask me sometimes like, what is it worth? Like, what's worse for you to do? Like wedding, like, what are you more like getting nervous about weddings or funerals? And I always tell people it's funerals. It's not weddings, you know, because weddings is the only time that I can sit and I can actually look at a piece of paper and go line by line by line without people not thinking, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? Uh, but with a funeral, I always realize that there's really not much I can say unless I'm just doing the the normal things we're supposed to say, right? And I have to really rely on the Holy Spirit to help me to say the right things, mm. not get it out of a little black book, right? And that went out of the window when, you know, my my, my one of my God's sons committed suicide during the pandemic. And I had to go preach his funeral. And I, I was sitting here in my office and I just, I said, God, I, I don't know what to say. Like you've literally give, like I've been handed the worst possible thing of someone who I dearly love that has taken their life that I'm not sure where he was with you at that particular moment. Like, what do I even say? 
Like, I, I don't know what to say. And it took the Holy Spirit giving me a sermon that I never would have preached on my own. Didn't get it from a little black book. Got it. it, it God downloaded it. And the impact that it had on that group of people, because I, he was young, he's 21 years old. So tons of young people there. And God was able to speak life into them. I would have never picked that message ever in my life, <laughs> you know? And so I think about it and I say, you know what, when we go through these times, we really do need to rely on the Holy Spirit to, to be a comfort to people because we really can't be a comfort other than just sitting there like, and just listening, you know, or being a shoulder for that person just to cry on. And you don't have to tell that person, oh, don't cry. It's going to be okay. Let them cry. You know, it's, it's your chest or your shoulder or your lap that they need, not your words. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing. And so, man, that is powerful. And I never thought of it that way. And so, yeah, that's a new wrinkle in my brain. I love it. Um, <laughs> and so, so you were talking about that. I, one of the things that I was going to ask you is what would you say to people who ask if God is good? Cause this is, and this, you get, we get this a lot from non-Christians and atheists, you know? And I, I would argue that a lot of people are, that are atheists are not real atheists. They, they're upset that something, if you dig deep, they've gotten upset about something that God didn't do that they thought that God was going to do. You know, grandma passed away. I thought God was going to heal her or this, or that. And then they say, well, there is no God. And I've always said that's almost like having a father that wasn't in your life and saying your father doesn't exist because you didn't like that he left you, right? Or whatever the case may be, right? That doesn't mean that person doesn't exist. You just don't necessarily like them, okay? So I always say to atheists, we can talk about the character of God. So if you want to talk about God not existing, we can definitely talk, we, we can talk about that, but first let's establish that God exists. Then we can talk about his character that you don't like, but don't say God doesn't exist, <laughs> exist, right? So, but they have a hard time, people do, with if God is good, why does he allow these bad things to happen to people? You know, the famines, the COVID, all the things, right? What do you say to the, if somebody asks you that, what would you say to that person? I get asked that question a lot, actually. If God is good, why does this happen? And I think the answer is, I don't know why it happens, but I, there's lots of things I don't know. And I don't know exactly why my son died. I don't know why the doctor took him off Files medicine. I don't know why there's, why COVID happened. I, I don't know. But I think we focus on the things we don't know. And they're way less important than the things we do know. Mm. And so I would say what I do know is God is sovereign and not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from his will. So God could have stopped this. And I know that God is good. And so if he could have stopped it and he didn't, then he has a purpose for it. Mm. Mm. And so... That's what I say. And I say, God is wise. God knows so much more than I do about this. Mm -hmm. So no, I have no clue why there are starving children in Africa that have never heard the gospel. No idea. Mm -hmm. But I do know that God is good. God is sovereign. God is wise. 
that God loves extravagantly more than I do. And so I have to trust these things to God mm. because those are the things that I don't know. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Such a great answer. We're finite. He's infinite. Yeah. There's no way for us to understand and completely know the mind of God and why those, why those things happen. I wasn't going to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you this because we touched on it a little bit. And I, I, I get in trouble here. I, I do. I, I get in trouble with church people here. But there is a, there is a, a, a large section of the church that has trouble when it comes to people like you, Johnny Erickson Tata. She's, just, oh God, she is just, she's amazing. <laughs> uh, just her story and her strength. And, you know, and then I think about Nick V, the guy that has no arms, no legs. You know, and just different ones that have been through some tremendous things. And I know Johnny has talked about before that, you know, she's been to she's been to the the rallies and the things where people are getting healed and all of that. And, you know, and just kind of like, wow, you know, why isn't God healing me or what, you know, what's different about me or, you know, but what would you say to that section of the church that I feel like the theology is just it needs to be rewritten? We need to reread our Bibles. And, and help to understand that, yes, God does heal today. Yes, God does do miracles today. But there's another side of God that we don't understand that you just talked. I don't know. You said, I, I don't understand why God doesn't does this in one person and, and not. But I've always said, the funny thing is, people get healed of everything they get, except the one thing they get right before they die. Because if they don't, we would all live forever. Like we would never die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that's not the purpose of this life. We, we you know, it was, so when people say things like, I just want to have my best life now, I look at people and say, well, if, you, if you're having your, your, your best life now, then you're probably not looking for, forward to going to heaven because your best life today, you know, for Christians, this is the worst it'll ever get. I don't care what happens to you. Yeah. <laughs> this is the worst it'll, it'll get. For a non-Christian, this is the best it'll ever be. Mm -hmm. So we should not train people to believe that if, if something happens on this side of earth, they don't get healed or someone passes away, that somehow God has been cruel because actually this is not our home. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Heaven is. So can you talk just a little bit to the people who are stuck in this thing of, well, I just don't understand. They told me to decree and declare it, it was going to happen. They told me that if I, if I just had enough faith, it was going to happen. Or they told me that I could call those things as be not as though they were when the scripture actually says God calls those things as not as though they were. You know, help people who are trapped in that. Knowing, knowing that God does do miracles today. I have to say that because people, mm -hmm. I don't want people send me angry emails. I get it. But help us walk, help us through that. What would you say to somebody in, in this trapped in that? I would say God absolutely can heal you. He does miracles every day. Mm -hmm. But if he chooses not to, he has something better for you. Mm. And what often the better for you is more of himself. Mm. You know, I think it's Spurgeon that says, you know, there has been no, or it might have been Hudson Taylor, but, you know, no greater mercy on earth than health, except it be sickness. And sickness has often been a much greater mercy to me. And I think mm. sickness makes us depend on God. 
So the times when God says no are the times that he gives us more of himself to answer that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's great to get these miraculous answers to prayer and we've all had them and they're yeah. amazing. Yeah. But what happens to me, and I think a lot of other people, and you see it throughout the children of Israel, God delivers them and they have about three seconds of gratitude <laughs> and then they're back to their own ways. And I can yeah. be that way too. Yeah. You know, God delivers me and I'm super grateful. And then I've totally forgotten, but God doesn't deliver me. I'm talking to him every day about what I need. Mm-hmm. And so I think deliverance is a huge, wonderful thing. And we see it all through scripture. So I'm not saying don't pray for it. Don't want it. Sure. But at the same time, we see that that doesn't answer our deepest needs Mm -hmm. because God himself does. And we Mm -hmm. see all through scripture, when God gives the people what they want, it doesn't satisfy their deepest needs and they become idolaters because they want something else. Mm -hmm. And so when God doesn't satisfy those things, He gives us himself and that pulls us from idolatry because we are dependent on God. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. In our last few minutes, talk to the person who is just going through just like, like you, just thing after thing after thing. They're being hit from every side. They're doing their best to keep their head above the water. They're they're crying out to Jesus. Maybe some of them are at a place where they're saying, "You know what? I'm I'm done with praying because it just doesn't seem to work." Or I, you know, I don't even know about this whole God thing anymore. I don't know if it's even real. Talk to that person because you could be talking to a a five, a ten year old, a sixteen year old. You could be talking to an eighty five year old. We all are going through some points in life that are are rough. So. What would you say to that person who's struggling with that thing after thing? I would say, keep crying out to God, keep praying. That's going to draw you to God. I mean, it will, God answers prayer. We see that all through scripture. You know, there's the unfortunate widow who cries out and, you know, our prayers are doing something. I love Daniel where you see, you know, the angel says, the minute you prayed, I was sent out. You know, God is answering us when we pray. So don't stop praying. Don't stop crying out. Don't stop trusting that he is doing something. But at the same time, rest that God loves you Mm. and is caring for you even in this. And that he may not be answering your prayer exactly the way you asked it, but he's answering you. And the one thing we, we haven't talked about is my husband came home six years after I was diagnosed with post polio. And told me he was leaving for someone else. And that rocked my world like nothing else had because we had gone through all of that together my post polio diagnosis, our son's death. And that was almost crushing for me. I had two adolescent daughters who were very angry. And I thought the only answer that was going to work for my theology, even, was God was going to bring him back. So I prayed every day. God, you've got to bring them back, bring them to repentance. That is going to be the amazing story that I want to tell. And it's funny, I realized after years of praying, and I I would pray that again. I mean, I think that is a God-honoring prayer. But at the same time, I think I expected God to do that because I thought this is going to give you the most glory. So I'm expecting you to do it. Mm. And I realized it's no different than what we think about physical healing. 
when we think this is going to give you the most glory, God. So I'm expecting you to do it mm-hmm. and realizing God's story and how God brings glory is very different often yeah. than what we think. Mm-hmm. And when God doesn't do the miracle that we ask for, he does another miracle in our lives and in our hearts and he changes us. And that was the time when I became the closest to the Lord and the word became completely alive to me. And God just gave me things, even though he didn't give me what I thought was a very God honoring prayer. He didn't answer that the way I wanted it to be answered. And yet God gave me these sort of treasures of darkness that Isaiah talks about, that just these treasures of suffering that were so much greater than I could have even imagined. And so I would say to the person who's crying out, like, God may bring miraculous deliverance. You have no idea. This life is a snapshot. And it may be that the next, the next picture in this is miraculous deliverance. Just like Joseph, his life kept going down and down and down. And every day was harder. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it changed. Mm-hmm. So I would say, don't give up hope that it can change because God is in the business of doing miracles, but sort of like Habakkuk, even if it doesn't change, God is going to give you joy even in the midst of the desert. And so I would say both of those things, keep praying, keep trusting this could change, but also trust that if it doesn't change tomorrow, God will give you more of himself tomorrow you can count on it yeah yeah man and you know i saw on your website and people can go there but you're just a beautiful family you have now remarried and you got your uh i think you have a poodle is that what that is yes i have a miniature poodle yes (laughs) yeah we have a mini golden doodle so we're we we understand that that poodle life They feel like they run the house. I tell you, exactly. You know, but yeah. So it, it, it. So through all of that, like you said, and Job's a good example. God just redeemed just so much in your life, which is just just amazing. And so if it you're listening to us today, and and you're wanting to have, I I, I would encourage you to go to vanitha.com and Vanitha is spelled V as in Victor A N E E. T-H-A, so Vanitha.com, and all of her things are there, her books and her blogs, everything's there. Just a, just a wonderful, wonderful story of God's grace. And then I would encourage churches and pastors, you know, have Vanitha out to your church to speak at your events, because I believe that her story will really speak to truly the masses. And we're excited to have you, uh, Vanitha. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and just, just, just blessing us with, with, with your story today. Oh, it was it was a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. Absolutely. And Kyle, can you tell them where to find us on yeah. the uh, socials? Yep. So you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Thinking Out Loud podcast. Instagram is going to be thinking underscore out loud. We also have a website, thinkingoutloudmedia.com, where you can find our episodes and other information about us on there as well. And so again, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as well as thinkingoutloudmedia.com. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then I just set up a new page. If you want to follow me specifically, and you go to Facebook and you just type in the at sign. So it's at the real Kevin Wilson. And you can follow me. I'll put some stuff up there. We'll talk a little bit about the podcast and what's coming up at times and follow just different ministry things there. And, you know, tell your friends, share, 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 share these stories, share the story of Vanitha, because I believe it's powerful and it can really help a lot of people. And if you're on an Apple device, do me a favor. Would you just stop right now and scroll all the way down to the bottom and leave us a review and rate the show? We would love for you to do that. And in any other platform that you can do that on, do that for us. It helps us greatly. Well, we appreciate you guys being with us this week. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next week. We'll be right back.